Awesome. Well, today, you know, it's just exciting because we're just going to go farther in and higher up. Farther in and higher up. How many of you have gone to church for many years of your life? Yeah. How many of you have come to church and it's kind of a newer aspect to your life? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, you know what? It's the same hunger that's going to draw us together today. Whether you've been here your whole life or you're coming for the first time, God is no respecter of persons, and he will meet each one of you today as you open your heart. He is a good and gracious father, and we get to be the children of God. Amen? We get to come home. He gets to be dad, and we get to be the sons and daughters. We get to come home. You know, in the house, who has the most responsibility? The father. And we get to come as the children. Amen? We get to come and believe and receive and as these songs have preached and as we've been praying, we get the benefit of the Father's work in our life. So as I said before, I just want to encourage you to continue to enter in with God. Continue to enter in uh, with your giving and your finances. Thank you so much for your, for your giving. Over this past time through the whole pandemic, our church has not lacked. Amen? We've been able to go forward. We've been able to help people. We, we've been able to be blessed because of your faithfulness to God. And I want to thank you for that because it hasn't been an easy time for some of us financially going through this time. But how many know that God's kingdom is not based on the earthly economics? And so we align ourselves with our Father, right? We'll talk about that a little bit more in the message. But thank you for your giving and giving to God first. Amen. Giving of a pure heart and a joyful heart and letting him multiply your gifts in Jesus' name. So, Father, we just give you the rest of this service. We're just excited to be here, God. We, we know we could do many things, but what we really want is an encounter with the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's enter back into worship together. Restore my faith 
try to get through this without um, be a blubbering mess. Because sometimes I just get the sense that you can sit down. You can sit down. <laughs> Don't worry, I have to stand through this. Um, I feel like the Lord just wants me to exhort you, church. And, uh, just get such a um, like he just presses on me such a love that he has for you in a way I can't understand it um, like it hurts because his love is just so intense because he just is such a good good father and, um, so Um, the song we sang before this one, Defender, um, a few years ago, this song came out and it was extremely monumental for me in the season I was in. And uh, I was just a hot mess. <laughs> and I, I don't know if um, anybody else can relate to seasons in their life where they've just felt like they've fallen apart or been broken apart in my case by somebody else. There's a lot of hurt and pain that had happened. And uh, um, uh, the verse says, and that song says, when I thought I lost me, <laughs> you knew where I left me. You reintroduced me to your love. You picked up all my pieces and you put me back together. You are the defender of my heart. When I thought I lost me, you knew where I left me. You introduced me to your love. You picked up all my pieces and you put me back together. You were the defender of my heart. In church, I just, as one who's been there and it felt like I was just crushed, his love is so great that he picks up your broken pieces, your hurts, your habits, your hangups, <laughs> CR, um, and he, because his love for you is so great, he puts you back together and he defends you. You don't have to go around defending yourself. You don't have to stick up for yourself because he does it for you. He's your defender. So I just, I want to, I want to pray over you because the love of the Father is so vast and so deep. And I think we all just need to tap into him more, to understand that more. So Father, I just, I thank you that you love your church. We are your bride and your love for us, your children as well are just, it's so deep. So we thank you, God, that you pursue us thank you, Father, that when we are in our darkest of nights or we feel crushed or beaten down, broken into pieces, like the song says, that you come along and you pick us up. That you carry us. And that you defend us. And God, we are we're just sorry that we don't grasp that all the time that we get busy in our days, that we get caught up in ourselves, caught up in the moments of the day or the hurt or the stress, the busyness. And we don't just stop and always remember that your deep, vast love for us is more than enough for us to meet every day challenge and the giant ones that make us feel like we are just crushed. So thank you, Lord, I just ask for a revelation of that. I pray that if there's people listening here today online 
who are feeling so crushed and beaten down, they're broken pieces. God, I ask that you would show them that you are there putting them together. They don't have to defend themselves. They just have to worship and praise you. That you go before them, you come behind them and you hem them in on all sides because you are the defender of their hearts. We thank you, Father, for your great, deep, vast love for us. In your mighty name. Yeah, let's just sing that part of that song that we belong to him. church. Who do you belong to today? We belong to the Father. Declare it with your words. I belong to you, Father. to ourselves anymore. We don't have to belong to a movement, an ideology, a, a group of this or that, but we can say, no, I belong to the Lord. I belong to the King of Kings. I, my house is the house of God. My lineage is directed to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. My father is the creator of the universe. That's where I get my identity. Not from myself, not from, from what somebody else says, but from what God says. I'm locking that in today. I'm belonging where I belong. I was made for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Can you thank the worship team for leading us this morning? Praise the Lord. Woo! <laughs> amen. Amen. Well, it is good to be with you this morning. Good to open our hearts. Katrina, thanks for joining me and sharing your heart this morning and your prayers and, and just sharing the love of God with our church family. And we're in the, uh, the latter uh, part of our core series, and we're going through all the core values as our church. We have 12 core values, and we've been in gratitude this month of October. And how we know it's a five-Sunday month, so here we are again, number five, and I keep joking like we're still on gratitude? I mean, how many times can you talk about this? Forever. Yeah. Then again, Pastor Kevin was teaching us it's the ch probably the chief value because without it, we don't get very far, do we? You ever met a Christian that has all the other values but they don't have gratitude? Looks like they've been sucking on lemons for a while. They're grouchy, they're complaining, and people don't want to know that God. They don't want to know about a Jesus that acts like that. But when you have gratitude... When you have an overcoming thanksgiving, when you're just happy because God's happy, you have a testimony, don't you? You have something to give. And we're going to talk about that today. Last week, we unpacked the first pillar of gratitude, and that was the goodness of God. The goodness of God is what stands up and we can get underneath when it comes to gratitude. Because if we trust that God is good at his core, we begin to birth this thanksgiving. We don't have to base our gratitude on the circumstances that we're going through. We base our gratitude on who we're going to or the who. The who is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So how many of you have good days? How many of you have bad days? We all do. 
But that's not why we're thankful today. That's not why we're, we have gratitude. We have gratitude because of the goodness of God in our life, that he's going to take us through things and teach us the whole time. The second pillar, which we just started a little bit at the end of last week, is based on the core motivation or the passion of the Father. And to me, that's always about his love, his unconditional agape love. The kind of love that is not based on what you do for him, but what he did for you through Jesus Christ. It's an unconditional love, not based on a contract, but based on a covenant. And a covenant is not based on the other person's behavior. It's based on the person who agreed to it and what they promised. So the Father promises many things to you, not based on your behavior, but based on your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That's the good news. It's the great news. And when we know that God's love language, his first language is love. My first language is English. My second language is food. That's where it stops for me. God's first language is love. He loves the community. He loves his, Jesus loves his Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God loves the nations. He loves his creation. He loves you individually. Now, he proved his love by giving his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice on the cross for your sins, to make it right, to get you into the house, to get you adopted. He gave a high cost. How many of us would give our own sons and daughters, even unto death, for wicked people who've done bad things that are complete strangers to us? Not going to happen. I wouldn't. I'd protect my son. I protect my daughter. But the father in all of his grace and wisdom and love said, no, I will let go of my beloved son for you so you can come home, so you can be adopted. I mean, this is the kind of love we're talking about. It's extravagant love. It's love beyond knowledge, as Pastor Barry would say. It's experiential knowledge. It's sacrificial love. But when you feel loved by God beyond knowledge, you know that you've come home. When you have a baptism of love in your life, unconditional love, you know you've come home. It's where you belong. It's family. It's adoption. It's your journey of sonship home. And the cool thing is, and I struggled this, with this a long time, his love for me is not based on what's in my hand, meaning what can you do, what's in your wallet, he doesn't love you because of that. Thank goodness for me, because I struggled with money for a long time. Or what's up here? How smart you are. What's in my head? A lot of us think these are the categories that qualify us for God's love. The Bible doesn't say that. What qualifies us for his love is that he chose you. He made you, and he longs to be in family with you. Romans eight thirty one through 39 says, it gives us a description of what could come between us because we, we, we struggle with that. Have you, have, I meet people and they, I'm worried because there's an area in my life where I'm going through a struggle in my life and I feel, people say, separated from God. But did God separate from them? People say, I can't hear from God right now. D does God's phone break up in heaven? Does, does he struggle with communication? No. What shall we say then about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You say all things? all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, say all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Jesus was talking to, about how protective his father was about his followers in John chapter 10, verse 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. See, the second pillar of gratitude, we have this because we are unconditionally loved by God. We have faith that he's a good God. That's the first pillar. And out of that goodness, we're thankful. And then we realize that his entire existence is based on our, his love for us. And because we're unconditionally loved and nothing can separate us, we are thankful. His goodness and his unconditional love. Well, this morning, I want to share a third attribute to his uh, character that creates gratitude in my life. And it's such a, a wonderful aspect that sometimes I feel a little silly talking about it. I feel a little bit giddy talking about it because it's, it's, um, it's back to his goodness a little bit too. It's just almost too good to believe. How many know that he said it was the good news? And sometimes we act like it's okay news, but maybe if we work really hard, it'll get better. No, Jesus said it's the good news. So let me tell you a story. Maybe you can guess on that third pillar as I describe my story. So seven and a half years ago, I was working uh, at Walmart back in Spokane, Washington, okay? It was right before we came home from Africa. We had just come home from Africa, and we were getting ready to transfer here to Belleville in January. So I had that one fall window, and I needed a job. And we had a newborn child and uh, Lucy. And so I needed a job, and my parents were kind. They let us stay in their basement rent-free before we moved here. And uh, God directed me to Walmart, and there I was. I had the khaki pants, the white short sleeve shirt, the blue vest, and the name tag that says, hello, hi, my name is Mark. And I walked the halls of my, my Walmart in the grocery section, and I stocked groceries. And it was like $8 an hour, you know, minimum wage for Christmas. I got hired as a seasonal temporary. I really enjoyed the job. There was no stress with my job. Very little. You know, every day, one or two or three semi-trucks would arrive for the grocery department. The other side of, this, uh, of Walmart had its own gro- uh, semi-section that would take the other merchandise. Mine was for groceries. And when the truck would come, you'd hear over the intercom, uh, grocery attendants, please come to the back loading dock. And that means we're going to get the jacks and, and take the pallets, the wooden pallets, out of the semi into the storage area. And that would happen several times a day. And during your shift, you might have it once or twice. These trucks, as you know, are 53 feet long, and they're completely stacked full of groceries. Now, once in a while, I'd hear of a crazy story of someone going to Walmart but not paying for what they bought at Walmart. In other words, they were stealing things. They would, they would go to the bathrooms because there's no cameras allowed in the bathroom, so they can't get caught. And they'd steal little things and shove them in their clothes, tear the wrappers off and hide the plastics behind the toilet and other spots. And then, you know, they sneak out of Walmart like this. In other words, they weren't making good choices. It wasn't theirs to take. And people do make bad choices. That's true. And yet, even though that was happening up front, people stealing sometimes. You know what? The trucks didn't stop arriving. 53 feet of items each time, every day, many times a day, kept coming. And God spoke to me this year, and he said this, you can't steal from a man who has everything. And I thought, what? Of course you can. In fact, it's easier to steal from a man who has everything because it's so much, he might not even know it missing. He has so much maybe a thief can just take. The enemy can just take. God said, no, you can't steal from a man who has everything. So I asked God for clarification. True, it can be taken. Something can be taken from a man who has everything or a woman who has everything. But then God said, wait a minute, what's that sound? You hear the horn honking? You hear the backup? Beep, 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 beep. Another 53-foot trucks backing in. To the loading dock. And there's another one sitting out in the parking lot. The guy's sitting in his truck waiting for that guy to get out. You see, 
things can be taken from you, but from a man or woman who has everything, God says, I will replenish easily anything that's taken from your life. The trucks are not going to stop coming. In God's kingdom, some things come and go, but God's faithfulness and God's provision, God's abundance is a part of his character. So guess what? The trucks are still coming. The trucks are coming for your life. Beep, beep, beep. Oh, come on back. Time to unload. We get hooked up on the one or two things that are gone. And God said, don't worry about the little stuff. I'm bringing it all back. I'm bringing the truck back. I'm going to load your life up. This is the kingdom of God. I'm an abundant God. We're changing the way we think from the small things to God's expanding our thinking to think with an abundance mentality. You can't steal from a man who has everything, or maybe it's easier to understand, you can't steal from a man who has access to everything. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God is trying to illustrate how his kingdom works. Every time something goes out of it, God replenishes something back in it. We call this the abundant nature of God. And how many know when you feel abundant, you feel thankful? You got more than enough, right? So you're thankful to the lady at the store. You're thankful to this person. You're th- Why? Because you got too much, and you don't know what to do about it, but just share it. Because it was never meant to keep. It was meant to share. It was meant to be spent. We call this the abundant nature of God. And here's an illustration. When Katrina and I moved to Africa... We got there, and we were going to have to rent a place, and then you have to fundraise for your rent while you're there, which was fine. But our directors and founders of the organization said, you know what, instead, just to save you guys money, why don't you just uh, live in our house? Then you don't have to worry about the rent. You can raise money for other things. And I said, that's great. This was not just a normal house. This was not a a little wooden shack on the corner with a little coal fire, although those were a few blocks from our house where we lived in Africa, in Uganda. This was a modern, western, seven-bedroom house. I mean, this thing was like a little chateau. This thing had a little rampart that you could go up to a private room. It had a big, modern living room, great room, kitchen, storeroom, bedrooms, three bathrooms, Rooms for all of our children. It had the only private swimming pool in the entire city, right inside my gate, with a custom waterfall coming down. And I'm going to Africa as a missionary, and I have a seven-bedroom home with a pool and a waterfall and grasses and trees, and I'm thinking, what's going on? This is not what I signed up for when you think of African missions. And so I took it to the Lord in prayer, and God said, I got it to you. I gave it to you because I wanted to bless you. And I I wasn't used to God talking to me like that. I think I was still trying to earn everything with him. And he he was wondering if it was okay if he blessed me like that and my kids. How many know it's pretty hot in Africa? And jumping in the pool once or twice a day was, like, amazing. It was a gift. God was trying to teach me about his abundance. In Ephesians, Paul writes, uh, the Apostle Paul writes so many times, and you know what he uses so many times? He says, according to, according to his riches, according to his good pleasure, according to his will. Over and over, Paul uses this prepositional phrase, according to. See, Paul knew that his life was not in a bank account connected to his own efforts, but it was always according to Jesus Christ. Who is your account attached to? Paul was always going to Christ. Where was he finding his fulfillment? Where was his finding his provision to Christ? Who are you according to these days? When you look past your last week, who have you been according to? What wagon have you hitched yourself to? Do you have a joint checking account with God? Or are you living according to your own abilities? 
We think we have our own financial responsibility to our own life, and yet we're supposed to live according to the riches of Christ Jesus. Where are we seated right now, according to Ephesians? In heavenly places, supernatural places that are above every other name. We are seated, meaning it's already finished. We're not going to work for it. We're going to receive it as sons and daughters. We're, we're seated with Christ at the right hand of God. In heavenly places, according to Christ's riches, you're beginning to see the different lifestyle, the different choices, because now you're living according to the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this earth. We're bringing the kingdom of heaven to this earth when we live according to his riches. Our gratitude increases to the degree that we allow the Father God, our Father God, to be our abundant provider. It's so much easier to tell a testimony when God did it, when God showed up. We think we have to win our own battles, and that's why when Matt and Jess picked this song, Defender, they didn't know my message. But here's where I'm headed with this about God being our defender. We think we have to win our own battles, but as Katrina said, we're wrong. God wants to gain honor for himself through winning our battles. God spoke to me back in August that he was going to take down one of my giants in our family. I looked at my journal and it said, in October, I'm going to take out one of your giants. So I wrote down that prophetic word. Katrina and I started talking about it. In October, we've been praying about it. He said it would happen by the end of October, and I believe that he will do it because he is a God of his word. He does not lie. He's completely trustworthy. So I'm going to trust him over the next 12 hours and 45 minutes to slay that giant. Katrina, I haven't given up. He's still got plenty of time. How many know God can do it? One phone call, one word, boom, giants down, one rock. And the walls come down. One act of obedience. Walls come down. So Katrina and I are praying. We say, Father, we make room. We make room for the miracle. We uh, want to obey you. Do we need to do anything? We ask for wisdom. And we believe and we stand and we wait for God to get the credit. God to get the honor. It's through the abundant nature of God because he wants to do it. There was this king in the Old Testament. His name was Jehoshaphat. Isn't that a funny name? I said that name, and my little daughter Lucy started laughing. She goes, that was a funny name, Dad. Jehoshaphat, the king. He was the king of Judah, and he lived in Jerusalem. And he heard that there was armies coming to wipe out his people, the Israelites. Now, the enemy armies were much grander than the Israelites' army. So the king wisely humbled himself, called all the families of the land, of Judah said, come to Israel. They humbled themselves. They fasted. The children came with them and they cried out to the Lord for help because they knew in the natural they weren't going to get their victory. So they went to the supernatural source, their God, their true king, the Lord God. And in this season, we need to do the same. We need to stop fighting our battles with our own wisdom. We need to stop trying to win our, vict- our victories with our own strength. We need to humble ourselves, pray fast, and say, God, what do you want to do? How do you want to get the victory? I will listen and obey. So the prophet spoke. This is the really cool part. This is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 14. I love this. You can picture thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people humbling themselves. And then the Bible says this. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benani, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all of you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow... Go down against them. So here he's saying, the battle is not yours, 
tomorrow go down against them. They're thinking, well, which one is it? They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. So he's saying, you don't have to fight, but get ready and go down there tomorrow. And when they go, they're not going down in their, their jogging shorts, okay? The men's got the swords, the shields, they're going down. But he says, but when you get there, you're not going to fight. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. So they're thinking, wow, this is interesting. It's like, I'm ready. I'm ready, God. He said, yeah, 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 I know you're ready. Just go down there and watch what I can do. Watch what the Father can do. It's grander than what we can do. But we still get to see it. For the battle is not yours but God's. So they obeyed. And they went out the next morning, and King Jehoshaphat said, before we do this, I think let's check in with the singers and the worshipers and the praise guys. Let's get a group of them. And who went out in front of the troops, the worship team? So you got all the army dudes, you know, they're ready to kill, still, they're, they're going to knock some heads, do all that kind of stuff, but they're not the priority, are they? The priority is a right heart to God, a big vision and focus on God, and praise and worship. That's the sweet spot. So he sends them out in front of the army. No weapons, but their voice. No weapons, but their heart. No weapons, but their praise. And they praised the Lord. And they said, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. When they began to praise, when they began to sing, the Lord won their battle for them. Here's what the issue is. We need to worship before we war. We need, you need to worship before you war. You know, you can go war against your family. You can war against your spouse. You can war against your finances. You can war against your boss, your children, your grown-up children. You can fight. You can pick fights all day. But God says, worship me first. Worship before you war. Align yourself. Position yourself. And when you do that, you'll find you're not fighting very much at all anymore. When they began to sing. So now we are in a season here at Desert Stream where we need to believe in the goodness of our God. We need to lean not on our own understanding. We need to get the focus off ourselves and back onto him. And I think there's no faster way to get your focus, correct, except through praise and worship. Because you're looking at the King of Kings, and even if you don't feel it in your guts, you're choosing to worship him. And your focus gets off all the garbage, all the little things, all the giants, all the stuff running around. And then wisdom comes, victory comes, prophetic word comes, words of knowledge, affirmation, connection, when you have your right focus. Now let's see where this story ends. King Jehoshaphat looked out over the battle area says he came up to the hill and he looked out over. And he found all of his enemies destroyed. And here's where God's abundance kicks in. Remember when I said the abundant character of God develops gratitude in our life? See, God won the battle, but the people received the spoils. God won the battle, but his children received the spoils. It took three days for them to carry the spoils of that victory away. Three days to get the valuables, the jewels, the precious jewels, and any spoils. How many can say that's a lot of stuff? And what did they do? They obeyed, they listened, they showed up, they waited on the Lord, the victory happened, 
But God don't need the stuff. He's never needed stuff. He wants your heart. So he said, no, you have the stuff. You're the ones on earth. You're the one that need this stuff. You have it. And we say, but, but God, I didn't do it. You trusted me. Now I trust you. You trusted me. I trust you. Have it. Take it. I don't need it. Enjoy it. Steward it. Bless other people. Bless your family. Bless your kids. Bless your cities. Three days of getting the spoils. They were so happy on the fourth day, they threw a party for God. They blessed him. They worshiped him. They had a worship party on the fourth day. Then it says they went back to Jerusalem. And they followed the king. How about how many know the king was probably just like, oh, man, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. Because, see, he humbled himself. And God got the victory. They came back to Jerusalem with the joy of the Lord as their strength. They said the joy was overcoming them because God had won over their enemies. And the cool thing is, the kingdoms around Judah began to respect God after that day. The nations around said, you know what? I think we're going to be careful with Judah from now on. I think we're not going to mess with these people. But you know what? It wasn't by the strength of the horse of the king. It wasn't, it wasn't their military power. It was their trust and obedience in God. You see, we want to see a turnaround in our city. We want to see a turnaround in our schools and our nation. But we don't do it by warring. We do it through worshiping, humbling ourselves, aligning ourselves with the king of kings. And then when God says to do something, you do it. And he gets the victory but you get the spoils. We want to see this nation turned around. You can see the process. It happens through humility, obedience, prayer, worship, and then God does it. But we get to be the ones uh, to walk it out. We get to be partners with him, co-laborers. We get to celebrate. But he does the heavy lifting. Our job is to believe. The testimony of the glory of God goes out a lot faster when we let him direct our battles instead of us coming up with good ideas. There was so much peace in the realm of Jehoshaphat after that victory. It said it surrounded the rest of his reign was peace. No one would mess with them. And here's the key. And this goes back to what King Jehoshaphat said. He said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets, and you shall prosper. The word of the Lord had gone out. And the king rightly said this. When the word goes out, our job is to believe. It means to have faith. It's the Hebrew word where we get the word amen. It's done. It's, 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 it's sure. It's established. We believe it. We're not going to get moved. Our job in this season is to believe. To stand at the armor of God, doing all to stand. You stand, you just stand. And you know you're God. You know the goodness of God. You know he's loved you. You know he's forgiven you. And now we stand. We stand firm. We stand with love and forgiveness and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And we say, go ahead, Father, have your way. Go ahead, God, do it in our generation. We're ready. We want to be a part of it. We want to, we're on your team. We're not going to fight our own battles anymore. We're going to let you fight our battles, and we're going to let the abundance of God come onto earth. How many know abundance gets people's attention? Come on. People who got stuff get people's attention, don't they? And it could be natural things. It could be spiritual things. But when people got stuff, people pay attention. How did you get that? They want to know. Where did that come from? That's not fair. Where's your, how'd you get that? Must be nice. Our job is to surrender. Our job is to believe. Can you believe with me in this season for that supernatural breakthrough? Has not Barry Miracle, the prophet in this house, prophesied so, I don't know how many months ago that this fall would be a breakthrough in this region and in our church over and over and over. How many are taking the prophet at his word? It says right here, 
and you shall be established when you believe the Lord and believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. I'm believing the word. I choose to believe, and, and you don't have to do anything. You have to believe. So do you believe with me? It's an activation of your faith. It might not even show up different out here, but in here you say, I'm believing for my family. I'm believing with my, my people. We will see God get the victory. We will see a great victory in our time, and it comes by faith. So God wants to know if you will stand and believe. Will you approach God in faith, prayer, worship, and praise? He wants to know you. See, when you're with God, he just gets to spend time with you. Remember, it's not about the stuff. God wants to hang out with you because he loves you. You're his child, so he kind of wants to spoil you. He wants to spend time hanging out, getting to know you and you getting to know him. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. He doesn't know defeat. He's never lost. He never will lose a battle. Whose wagon will you hitch up to? He can win your battles, and our job is to believe. So to trust him, number one, we say, God, you are good. Two, we say, God, you are loving. And three, we say, God, you're an abundant provider, and you know how to get victory over my battles. So we have his goodness. We have his unconditional love, and we have his abundant provision. And when we show up like that, we say, go ahead, God. I trust you in those areas. He gets the victory, but you get the spoils. So our job is to receive. So could you stand with me this morning? Let's do an act of faith. The Bible says to stand and receive. Stand in your faith. Be established in God, and then God will establish you. Be established in God, and then God will establish you. It always goes that direction. So we're establishing ourselves in God right now. And it's an act of faith. Positioning ourselves. And in that position the victory starts coming. Remember, it's not by might or power, but the Bible says it's by his spirit. So who knows how God's victory will come to your house? Just do whatever he tells you to do. And don't do what he doesn't tell you not to do, okay? Obedience is better than sacrifice. So Father, you see your people, they're standing right now. We're doing a simple act of faith, acknowledging that you are the king, we are the people, the victory comes from the house of God. So we stand we, we activate our faith, and we simply say, we believe you, we trust you, we love you. You're a good and gracious God. You unconditionally love us through Jesus Christ, and your abundance will never fail us. You always have enough. You're never going to let us go without. So we choose to activate our faith right now, and we say, Lord, let our giants fall. Let the giants come down. Let the victory happen in Jesus' name, not in our name. In Jesus' name, we declare the victories and the giants coming down over Desert Stream. And anyone watching and believing with us today, we just agree that the, the giants are coming down and that you will get the victory and we will graciously and humbly receive the spoil for your good work. In Jesus' name.